Welcome to the latest episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. In this episode, my guest and I will be talking about the parade track, Another Lover Hole in Your Head. Joining me is first-time guest, Rhonda Nicole. Welcome to the show, Rhonda. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to have you as well. A new guest, you know, it's been a while since I've had a brand new guest that had never been on an episode before. So um, since this is your first time on the show, can you please give the listeners a brief bio on yourself and maybe speak to your connection to Prince's music for a second? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I uh, am originally from Dallas, Texas, born and raised there. And I currently live in L.A. I've been here for a couple of years. And I am uh, a singer, a songwriter, composer, and a producer. Um, I am a music journalist and also a social and digital media marketing executive consultant, whatever word you want to use. So I've always had my hands in a bunch of different pots uh, creatively, and um, I'm grateful for that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I, uh, of course, like so many others, especially who work in music, I um, cite Prince and related artists as being my biggest inspirations. I started listening to him on my own, sort of autonomously, in 84, when I was nine, uh, because of Purple Rain, but because I had an older sister at home who a little bit before that, you know, would have her radio on, I would hear songs like Controversy, where I thought he was saying, catch up with me. And I thought it was a woman singing because, of course, you know, I was very <laughs> young at the time and had no concept of falsetto. Um, mm-hmm. And and then of course uh, when 1999 came out and Little Red Corvette in particular was on the radio a lot, I remember hearing that. But it it wasn't until Purple Rain and um, definitely I, I know that I got into the music in '84. You know, with the release of the record of the movie, I didn't see the movie <laughs> until the following summer when I would sneak and watch it on HBO at my grandparents' house. So. That era, you know, 84, 85 is when I really started to get into his music. And of course, um, everything that was happening in, you know, the, the Prince universe at that time. So, of course, I was also into the time and I was into Apollonia 6 and I had Vanity. I think I, by that time I had uh, the Vanity 6 um, album on cassette um, and had begun trying to collect other pieces of his discography up to that point which proved to be challenging at that age because my parents were like, ma'am, no, give me that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, like, I vividly remember when I turned 12, my older sister bought me the 1999 album on cassette because at that point I hadn't had it. And my mom made me take it back <laughs> to the to the record store. Uh-huh. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, okay, now I'm like almost a teenager. Come on. But she made me take it back. But I think it probably goes without saying that on some random mall excursion without my mother, I got it again. And I just learned how to hide my stuff until, you know, she and my dad kind of stopped pushing against it because what was interesting too was that I think because I was also in music you know I had been taking piano for a very long time I was in choir so I think that at least my dad had started to kind of get that there was something else happening with me with listening to that um even though he was still a little bit concerned about the lyrical content which most of it went over my head 
um, there was a musical component that I was really starting to become uh, enamored with. And I would talk to my dad about it. My dad uh, was also a musician. So I think that that kind of got me a pass, even though still there was some questionable conversations happening within the songs. Again, because I didn't really get it. I don't think that they were as stressed about it as they had been. <laughs> but so that's kind of how I got into Prince and um, stayed with him. I never, ever, ever went through a period where I wasn't listening to Prince. Um, and I actually told a friend recently, I was like, you know, when everybody else in our age range and our generation was falling in love with hip hop, I never did because I had already fallen in love with, with Prince's music. And there just kind of wasn't anything else that would satisfy me um, in that space. Even um, having been a big Michael Jackson fan up to 1984, I did not like Michael Jackson. I just lost interest. And so it's like, you know, I was aware of all of these other, you know, incredible musicians that we had, you know, at least um, oral access to back then. And, you know, through music videos and so forth, but Prince was really the one that just kind of sealed the deal for me in terms of where my attention and my passions would, would go for the rest of my life, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. It's an interesting background, interesting story. Thank you for sharing. And I think that while you were uh, speaking on your history with Prince and his music, I was thinking wow, that's okay. That's like identical to, to my experience or I had a very <laughs> similar uh, upbringing. I mean, I think we've shared this information prior, but we're, I think we're pretty much the exact same age, more or less. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was nine in 84. Uh, Purple Rain was my, was my era. I was uh, clearly aware of his music prior to that with 1999, Little Red Corvette being successes. And I had an older sister as well that kind of introduced me to his music not you know on purpose just by you know just um living in the same house as somebody who was listening to it i just listened to it by default as well but uh purple rain was not a movie that i saw in theaters i i snuck a viewing off of hbo just like you did <laughs> yeah but instead of my grandmother's house it was a friend that lived down the street who had hbo we didn't have hbo in our house but he did so we all were were very interested being um, preteen boys in in Purple Rain and all of all of what it had to offer us at that age, um, but the music stuck with me, and I was also a huge Michael Jackson fan. Thriller was I was obsessed with Thriller until Purple Rain came about, and then it was like, oh, okay, this is I like this more. This speaks to me more, and I don't mm -hmm. know, I can't I can't verbalize why, I can't articulate why, but I like it more, and and also with Prince. No, no knock on Michael Jackson, but he just kept releasing new music all the time. It's like you're not you're not even done with Purple Rain yet, and and you see a video for Raspberry Beret, which is yeah. off of the next album, and then you're barely you know getting into Raspberry Beret and the Around the World in a Day album. That's like, what now he's got a new album. It's called uh, Parade, and it's got this song called Kiss, and he released several albums before like at least three, maybe even four. I don't know the exact timing of the releases of Sign of the Times and Bad, but you know, a lot of music in between Thriller and Bad. Yes. And so when you're a child, like five years is an eternity. Um, and so five years had passed between 1982 and 1987. And if you're talking like just, you know, when 
thriller was huge in 1983 with Billie Jean and Beat It, still, that's four years. And that's, like I said, it's an eternity when you're a kid. And I didn't, like, completely lose all of my interest in Michael Jackson. I was still into bad, but it wasn't the same. It just wasn't right. the same. I, I, it, I, I thought it was cool and I was into it, but I did not have the same connection to it anymore because I had found Prince and I'd also found other music as well that I was really getting into. I think the one difference between you and I that I noticed is that I did get into hip hop very early on. Um, it was just like, it was kind of like that music that the previous generation just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And, and something about it was appealing to me. And, um, and I couldn't, again, explain why. I didn't hardly have any friends that was into it. I had one friend that was really into it with me. But I still stuck with Prince, you know, throughout much of the 90s until uh, I went to college. And then I did have a period where I wasn't listening to his music quite as much. Because in college, I started experimenting with all sorts of different kinds of music. And mm. and it was almost like overload. Like, okay, I all this classic rock I never heard, I got to get into. All this classic soul I got to get into. All this alternative music that was really big in the 90s, I got to start getting into. And I just didn't have enough room for it all, I guess, would be my, <laughs> would be my excuse. But I came back to it. So, so here we are. Yes. And yes, today that. we're going to be talking about a song off of the Parade album. So, yes. Other Lover Hole in Your Head, which was a single. It was the third and final US release single off the album. Didn't make really any kind of a splash on the on the Billboard uh, pop charts here in the US. And it was actually the fourth single released off the album in the UK because Girls and Boys was an official release in the UK. Well, that didn't get a release here in the United States. I think Girls and Boys would have been a good single choice, but for whatever reason, the record label did not choose to do that here in the United States. Um, another interesting fact about Another Lover Hole in Your Head, besides the fact that it was a single that nobody hardly remembers was a single, <laughs> is that um, it was recorded in December of 85, meaning that it was recorded after the Under the Cherry Moon film was already done had already completed all of its filming that movie filmed in early fall of 85 so kind of like when doves cried a purple rain it was recorded written and recorded after the movie it's kind of like just another song to add to the soundtrack and then maybe another song to to score a scene but it wasn't written with the movie in mind um ahead of time it was after the fact so uh, just kind of another interesting parallel. Uh, Prince does that with his movies, uh, movie soundtracks. You'll have songs that he records with the intention of being performed in the in the movie, or you know, uh, keeping in mind like the plot of the movie. Like I think of songs like "Do You Lie" and, um, of course, "Under the Cherry Moon." Those kinds of songs that clearly have the lyrics point to pieces of the plot of the film, but Another lover hole in your head, not not really as much. I mean, no. if this song wasn't on a movie soundtrack, like, and it wasn't, it didn't have, it didn't really have a very prominent role in the film. Um, I know it's in there, but it doesn't have a prominent role. And to me, it's not one of those songs that I immediately think of under the cherry moon. I, I just don't, and that's just maybe my bias. But um, so what did what? What do you like about the song? Before we get into the lyrics, Rhonda, you, you know, you picked the song. 
sounds like you really enjoy it as do yeah, it's I. one of my favorites <laughs> yeah what can you are you able to kind of explain or articulate what you like about the song yeah so it's interesting just um to go back to what you were saying about its positioning in the film because i just for whatever bizarre reason i have been craving watching under the cherry moon recently and i've seen the movie about 16 billion times so but I enjoy it so much because there's always just something really wacky that I discover or something that I'm like, oh, I never noticed that. But one of the things that I found was interesting is that I actually paid a little bit closer attention um, when I watched it a couple of weeks ago to the scene where the, where the song exists. And of course, it's the scene where Christopher is, you know, trying to keep Mary from getting on the plane to go to New York. And it works perfectly in that very short, maybe even if it's a minute of, you know, between Mrs. Wellington telling Christopher that she's leaving and him, you know, speeding off in the car to try to go get her. Um, but there's not, to your point, there's not much more of the song in there, which is very interesting because there seems like there could have been some other ways to use it. But I think that it was such a smart way uh, in retrospect to use the song. Um, it is one of my favorite songs and one of the things that I connect to it most is the video um, because it was everywhere in the summer of what, 86 was it? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember seeing the video again, you know, I spent the summers with my grandparents in Mississippi and they had cable. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a free for all from the time my cousins and I woke up in the morning until we went to bed at night. It was just, flipping between MTV and VH1 and BET and HBO. It was just all the acronyms of the 80s. So cool. In the <laughs> all 80s, that's, that's all you needed. Like, who needs the internet? Right. <laughs> right. There was no internet. It was, you know, go play outside. Okay, and then we're going to come back in and watch this. And then we're going to watch Nickelodeon. And then we're going to go outside and play. I mean, it was just constant. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember seeing that video so often. And because of where I was in my life as a young musician, that's really what captivated me because I was playing saxophone at the time. Um, and I was just, or actually, you know what? I take that back. If it was the summer of 86 and I was on my way into sixth grade, so I was going to start playing sax, but it was that video and watching Eric Leeds up, up close and, and seeing him and hearing that addition to the song that they were doing live that made me decide that I wanted to play saxophone. Like I do remember having that conversation with my dad when you know the school band teacher sends the note home is like your kids can pick a, an instrument and I was like I want to play sax my parents mm -hmm. were like what and I was like yeah because Eric leads um so that really drew me in um and then also just the song itself I've always loved the way that the song is produced even before I understood production I love the way um Prince's and Susanna's vocals are layered and mixed mm -hmm. and the way that it sounds, it's a song that um, isn't super heavy on harmonies, which Prince always had some really interesting harmonic choices, um, particularly with his vocals. But this song doesn't really rely on that so much. It's, a, it's more unison in the two of them singing that you know, really rich second verse together. Um, and then kind of splitting up a little bit on the chorus, but not, not a whole lot, but it's just a really, really great song. And I've just always 
loved it and, and love the, um, the audacity of the lyrics. Again, even, you know, listening to a song like that at the age of 11, 12, however old I was in 86, 11, 12, whatever, <laughs> math, um, you know, even I could pick up that, you know, this guy is kind of talking a little trash here, you know, like, can't nobody do what I do. And even, and it, you know, it wasn't a song that was as sexually forward as other songs of his that went over my head <laughs> at that time. Right. But this one I got, and I, and that's something that I've always really appreciated, just that it just has this, it's got this really funky sound. Um, it's very interesting, um, both the original album version and then the extended version, which I, I remember buying on vinyl um, at a record store in New Orleans, maybe a summer or so later. And it's just a, it's just a great song. Like I, I can't, I can never have it come up in my shuffle and I don't listen to it. Like it, I have to. And in fact, uh, several years ago, probably sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s, on one of my weird little music moments, I went and bought, I think, the CD of Parade because I just needed to have it in my car. I don't even know why I did it, but I, I remember doing it. Like, I literally just went to a record store in Dallas and bought Parade because I needed to listen to it right then, and it wasn't in the car. <laughs> Crazy. Mm -hmm. random but you know yeah. now we can just go to like spotify or what have you and just pull it up and what happened you know and, and it's right there yeah. but at that moment yeah. there was such an urgency to, to have it in my hands i was like i'm just gonna yeah. go buy it yeah. so <laughs> i can i can relate to that you know when you when you need your music and it's not available to you uh it's almost like for people who really love music it's almost like um uh, it induces a little bit of panic in you <laughs> to, like, okay, to a point. I don't know why I like, I'm, I'm not far from home, but I really need to hear this song right now. So I'm just going to buy a CD. Yeah. It's the only option. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think a couple things I wanted to touch on, uh, follow-ups to what you were talking about. So just for anybody listening who hasn't seen the video, the video for this song is just a live performance. Mm -hmm. very very simple just a live performance and it's not like one of those studio live performances that was filmed just for a video like little red corvettes video or something like that this was captured from a performance on the parade tour mm -hmm. or, um or was it a parade tour or was it for his birthday i forget now well it was it was the parade tour and there is footage from a detroit show that's been pretty widely shared that was on his birthday but this was definitely during the parade tour i just don't i don't okay. recall what spot on the tour it was because that of course was a tour that i did not see in real life <laughs> yeah so, yeah but no but as a yeah but as a musician i can see how that would appeal to you because you're not you're basically seeing you know what everybody who's ever seen prince live uh what appeals to them is just the showmanship and then it's it's a it's a full band performance and this and the music behind the song is very eclectic so there's uh -huh. there's like you know the interplay between his vocals and Susanna's vocals but you have also uh, vocals from you know the men on the side you've got Jerome and Wally and Brooks doing their thing and they show them on stage as well and you've got Wendy and Susanna standing over to the other side doing their background vocals 
but then you have uh, piano, which of course in the mm-hmm. in the uh, in the studio version it's Prince, but that would be Lisa doing that on stage live. And then you've got, of course, the horn section as you already alluded to with Eric Leeds and and Lana Bliss. And so it's there's a lot going on in in this, in this song. There's a lot musically going on in this song, and to see it all kind of played out in front of you and. You know, Prince has to take a step back, and he's like playing with the crowd a little bit, and and then when he introduces uh, Eric to perform his sax solo, he's kind of almost like looks on as like a proud father would. You know? it's like, <laughs> yes, like I I, that, I put that, this together, you know, and look, that, I picked I picked cream of the crop talent, and he's, yes, he's killing it. Yes, I love that part of the video where he's just kind of standing there with his hands in his pocket, smiling. And it, it's so cute because normally he's just doing the most, like he's dancing and he's mugging with the crowd or whatever. But at this moment, he's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like this is my song and look what I helped create. And I, I'm passing, like I know that I can do so much, but I can't do everything. And so I've been able to pick the talent that can help me achieve my vision on stage. And, you know, his vision for many years is to include horns in his music before he would just do it with a synthesizer, you know, and get like the the fake horn sounds. But then once he finally found his horn player or horn players, then he was able to, uh, you know, make that make that a reality on stage the way he envisioned it, I'm sure, years before. Yes. And then there's also hearing it. Yeah. Hearing in his head. And then we've got uh, also there's. Uh, string or orchestration on this song that kind of gets buried a little bit. I mean, I, I can hear it and I definitely notice it now because I'm paying attention to it. I'm like, okay, there's the Claire Fisher Orchestra. But um, yeah, it's like the whole kitchen sink is is in this song, but it doesn't sound busy. You know, it's all mm-hmm. it come the, the the points where the different musicians need to come in, they do their thing, and then they're relegated back to the uh, background again or it's taken out of the mix entirely and there's times when it's just you know just the uh the the drum machine and and synthesizer with vocals over it so they'll even even has the song kind of distilled down at points as well to emphasize certain lines or emphasize just whatever is going on at that moment like the bridge or whatever so it's a cool song for that reason and it's not overly long i mean yeah there's a 12 inch version out there that's as you talked about, um, which is usually the way to go. Um, the 12 inch version of the song is, is good. is very good. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, you know, great piano uh, playing in that extra version or extra um, three two three minutes of song. But from a lyrical standpoint, there's really not much added. If anything, it's just more kind of like repeating the chorus and repeating some of the lines. So I, for the sake of this show, we're just going to just speak to the lyrics that were in the original album version seven inch version definitely all right so if you're ready i'm ready let's get to the lyrics yes So the first verse goes, I gave my love, I gave my life, I gave my body and mind. We were inseparable. I guess I gave you all of my time. 
and now you plead insanity and you don't even know the score. Why can't you learn to play the game? Baby, don't you know that you need more? And that's the first verse. So I guess what I what I'm kind of taking away from this first first round is just that it's Prince is trying to set the stage for the theme of the song and mm-hmm. you know, trying to to get us in the, on the same page as he is, you know, before talking about the chorus or singing, you know, the chorus. Where's he coming from? Where's Prince coming from? He's coming from a place where he's in a relationship and he's basically saying he's put a lot of time and energies toward this relationship mm-hmm. by saying lines like I gave my life, I gave my body and mind, I gave you all my time. That tells me that he feels like he has fully committed to this relationship. And then he, in the second half of the verse, he talks about you pleading sanity and you don't know the score. Why can't you learn to play the game? So we don't know exactly what he's referring to here, but I think most people can infer that he's talking about somebody who's either stepping out on him or has expressed a, uh, a desire to end the relationship, something that has kind of caused a rift between them. And he's kind of putting the blame on that other person, really, because he's essentially saying, I've done everything that I can to make this work, but now you're pleading insanity and you can't play the game and you need more, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what, what is that kind of what you get from the verse or do you have any additional things you want to talk about with this one? No, definitely get that. And and it's interesting because I've been kicking around a theory. I know that one of the things that we tend to love to do in, in the Prince world is try to extract from lyrics who or what the song might be about. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, a whole podcast that dedicates to that. To exactly. About I mean, that, like, so. and, and there's, you know, there's on the one hand, there are things that he might have alluded to in his lifetime. There are certainly people who believe something is about them. And it might be that like several different people think that one song is about all of them. And that's fully possible. And it's also possible that it's about none of them. Um, but something that I've, that, that stands out to me in this lyric um, makes me wonder, I have no proof of this at all, but I wonder if this is a song, first of all, I, I, I know that he recorded it in 85, but as we know with Prince, he could have written it at any period prior to that. Mm-hmm. And which brings me to wonder, could this be a song, for example, that may have been inspired by his relationship with Vanity? I think a lot of songs from a particular era that may have been ascribed later on to someone else in terms of inspiration might be, you know, something that are either holdovers from that relationship in that time in his life, or it just inspired, but it's, it's the whole, you know, I gave my love, I gave my life, you know, I gave my body and mind that, that makes me wonder, you know, there, obviously we know that he's had um, lots of really interesting um, relationships and romantic pairings about which I think he's probably written most, if not all, on some level, whether we know it or not. But this song, because of where it falls in his discography, it just, it makes me curious, you know, like it, it could certainly have been something, um, because lyrically, to your point earlier, it doesn't really fit with the movie. Christopher Tracy and Mary Sharon characters 
had a very short love affair. You know, honestly, it was like a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was kind of very Romeo and Juliet, if you think about it. So it's not as though it's a, a long in, in the tooth story of a couple that fits within the narrative of the movie so much as it feels like a song that comes from some other space in his creative life and in his mm-hmm. personal life. But definitely that those lyrics trigger that thought for me and have for a while that I was just like, you know, it, it feels, you know, the song obviously falls during a, a, you know, the Susanna era, if you will. But is it a song that is truly inspired in that moment? Or is it one that comes from someplace else? And that certainly is something that I've been, been thinking about a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. And I say that because I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation about the reasons why Prince and Vanity's relationship ended. Um, I guess it depends on who you ask, or it depends mm-hmm. on what you t- uh, decide is true, or whose whose version of the truth you trust is what you're going to take away. Because there's, I mean, I've heard things from Prince cheating. I've heard things from she wanted too much money to be in purple rain for from she was cheating you know what i mean <laughs> it's basically like you know uh just about anything you know you could you could attribute to that i mean what we know all we really know is that vanity was originally pegged to be in purple rain to play uh to take you know the character that ended up going to apollonia but then she wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really all because I've heard that even maybe the whole money thing was isn't even a hundred percent true. I don't know what to believe, and until somebody who was there like puts their because unfortunately the the two who could probably tell us the truth or at least their version of the truth, and that's the other thing. Prince yeah. tells his story, and Vanity tells their story. It doesn't mean either one of them are one hundred percent the truth. But anyway. But now they are somewhere together having those conversations. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why didn't you want to be in my movie? It's like, why didn't you pay me enough? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there could be, should be, likely it's way more complicated than even that. If I had to guess, it's probably a combination of things. But anyway, so I I find it interesting because then I'm looking at these, these lyrics again. And, and it does seem like way he's singing this first verse, he seems taken aback by the situation that he finds this relationship in. He just feels like uh, maybe somebody who's frustrated or somebody who is just trying to understand exactly what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Now you plead insanity. I mean, is that like a metaphor for saying that the person he's you know referring to doesn't know what they really want? Is that kind of like... A metaphor for that saying you're pleading insanity is another way of saying you don't really know what you want um i don't know uh, that's kind of what i think but it could certainly somebody else might take those lines to mean something else and why can't you learn to play the game interesting line mm-hmm. to play the game play the game meaning like why can't you learn to just you know uh play the the dutiful role of superstar girlfriend <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know i mean <clears throat> or or whatever we've decided that this is because it also seems like he's he's like having a conversation with someone who has decided that 
she wants something different, yeah. you know? And so he's like, kind of in the sense of if two people are in a relationship and one decides that they want to take it to the next level, whatever that, ne- that next level is, and the other one is saying, well, no, why can't we just keep it the way it is? Hence, why can't you learn to play the game? In which case, in his case, he's saying you need more. So it's, poten- it's possible that, you know, the other person wants less or I want something different and it's not what mm-hmm. you're trying to give me, whatever that is. Um, and it's interesting too, because it is to your point in the verse, he's very plaintive. He's like, you know, I, I've given you everything and now you want something different. And then in the chorus, he gets a little bit more assertive. Like, you know, you need another level, like you need a hole in your head. Like it's, it's a really interesting way that, that I think Prince has always been able to tell a story without casting himself as either a victim or a villain, you know, and, and of course it's not necessarily that the song is autobiographical, but you know, when we think of it, it's, it's him giving us the narrative, whatever, whatever character it is that's, that's in that space. But Mm -hmm. he does some really interesting things with creating the sense of empathy around these characters, whether you believe that it's autobiographical and it's first person or, he made up a story about some people that he saw walking down the street. Who knows? But he does a really interesting job and a beautiful job of making you feel like at any given time, this song could apply to anybody. It could be about me. I can feel this way about somebody I'm dating or they could feel this way about me. But there's that tension that always makes for a compelling love story, regardless you know, and I think that this song is an excellent example of that from a lyrical perspective. Yeah, and, and that's a good segue into the chorus. You need another lover, like you need a hole in your head. Baby, baby, you know there ain't no other that can do the duty in your bed, yeah. You need another lover, like you need a hole in your head. <laughs> you know there ain't no other that can do the duty in your bed. Okay, so I mean there the first line is where we get our title. So he basically takes that line, you need another lover like you need a hole in your head and s- smushes it together into one word, another lover hole in your head. That's the name. <laughs> of the song. That's the yes. name of the song. <laughs> uh, um there's no spaces in it and he has to take out some some letters in order to make it kind of flow and look look cool. But uh, yeah, so to your point, he's now basically saying, to, you know, or at least what I'm getting from now, the chorus after singing the verse is he, you kind of get now the picture that she's either leaving him or in the process of leaving him for somebody else. Uh, it's not like, you know, I don't get the, the feeling that he would say these lines if she was just leaving, like, I need some time to myself, or I need to be, I need to be alone and away from you. No, it sounds like, She's leaving him for somebody else. You need another lover like you need a hole in your head, which is to say, of course, you don't need one at all because nobody <laughs> needs a hole in the head, right? So exactly. that's just, you know, I mean, that that line, you need fill in the blank like you need a hole in your head. It's not something that I, it's not a term or a, a turn of phrase that I use a lot, but I've heard it before, you know, before this song and after the song. Yeah. Um, like I, I need, uh, I need another, um, 
whatever. I need another podcast. Like I need a hole in my head. No, I don't need another one. This one takes up enough time. So, <laughs> but uh, of course, then he has to throw in that, you know, there ain't no other that can do the duty in your bed because Prince likes to to brag a little bit about his yes. sexual prowess and his abilities in the bedroom. And this isn't clearly the, not the first time he's done that. And it isn't the last. Yeah, <laughs> uh, won't be the last. That is. But just in case, you know, anybody was interested as to why he's trying to sell himself and try to sell what uh, he has to offer, that's one of the things that he's offered <laughs> here in the chorus. Right. So, yes. yeah, that, that's, you know, that's the chorus in essence. And, you know, it, the way it's sung, it's sung with the uh, with the background vocals. So it's, you kind of get, I hear I hear everybody's vocals when I hear the song in my head the chorus in my head i hear prince's vocals i hear Susanna's vocals probably wendy's as well and i just like how it's performed you know uh it's very simple easy to sing along to and um catchy it's really catchy it's very catchy for for an artist who didn't always do catchy because he, he was doing so many other things you know i mean to your point it's easy to sing along with and I can't think of a lot of Prince songs that immediately resonate in that way. That, you know, the, the tail end of Purple Rain, where everybody's singing the, the ooze, where if, you know, when you go see Prince live in concert, everyone starts it too early. And I'm always like, no, guys, like, count it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why musicians are not fun to go to concerts with. It's just like, first of all, you're off pitch. Secondly, you're, you're early. Um, but, but, you know, the, that, mo those kinds of things in music are, are unifying because even if you don't know the rest of the words, there's always that one part of the song. So even if you don't know all the words to another lover holding your head, you can either sing the chorus or you can just wait till the baby, baby, you know, because there's that little tag that makes it easy for everyone to kind of get involved. But here's something that I, that I wonder too, as we're thinking about the chorus, as it as we compare it to that first verse. Because I also wonder if in the narrative of the story that he's telling in this song, if it's not so much that she's trying to leave for someone else, but bring somebody else in. You know what Ooh. I mean? <laughs> in Interesting. Which case, it also kind of turns the chorus on its ear because, you know, there is a, a space where Prince is singing definitely is is giving us material where he is absolutely down with doing a whole lot of things with a whole lot of people at the same time. But then there are also moments where he's very clear that he's only focused on this person. And so perhaps this is a, a situation where this other person is trying to be focused on too many people. And he's like, no, that's not what we're doing. That's, that's not the game we're playing. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's yeah. obviously open for interpretation, but given um, the fact that, again, the song doesn't necessarily fit into the larger arc of the Cherry Moon storyline, it would be an interesting thing to consider that maybe there's a lot more happening behind the scenes lyrically than we even realize, with, regardless as to you know, how many times we've listened to this song. Just yeah, throwing that I, out there. Yeah, I like that. Thinking outside the box, Rhonda. <laughs> Appreciate that perspective. 
Because, you know, yeah, you could absolutely take it that way. Like, eating another lover. Like, do we need another lover in our life? Is there enough space in this relationship for another person? Let's yeah, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, if you're going to bring them in for bedroom stuff, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I can, nobody can do it like me. So yeah, let's. Like I've pretty much that, got that, that covered. What else? Let's nip that in the bud right now. <laughs> Good point. Okay. So let's move on to the second verse. And actually, you know, the, the song really only has, in essence, two verses. Mm-hmm. You know, because the. After the second verse, it's a lot of just kind of repeating some of the song, some of the lines from the song background. But the second verse is interesting because while the first verse is sung very straightforward, uh, typical, you know, soul, single voice, the second verse is where there's a lot of the interplay between his vocals and Susanna and or Wendy's. I forget if it's both of them or if it's just Susanna's. I think it's mostly Regardless. Susanna. Okay. So thanks for clarifying that. But yeah, it's it's certainly where you get that where he almost like pauses to let her vocals uh, have some room to breathe and to be able to listen to. And the way it's uh, sung and structured is different. So the lines are... We We were brothers and sisters united all for love. Now all of a sudden, you try to fight it. You say you've had enough. Even though we had big fun, you want another someone. Yo, happily ever after be. Sure as there's sun, I'm gonna be the one. And if you don't understand face to face, baby, I'll tell you down on my knees. And <clears throat> I, I did not uh, recite all of the lines that are being sung in the background because they're really just kind of repeating echoing yeah the lines that he's saying just you know not right behind him but after like like uh yeah like basically an echo in, in essence so with those lines the way they're sung and the way they're delivered it does make it more complex it makes a more complex listen <laughs> you know because i i don't know for me personally i have a harder time when Prince has done this multiple times and I've expressed it in other episodes where like he has his vocals and then he has, you know, either Susanna or Wendy or Lisa or somebody on the background doing echoing vocals. And then it's like, I have my ears almost have to like focus on one set or the other. But when I, when I'm trying to just like really focus and pay attention, when I'm just listening to it, I can let all that go and I can just enjoy the the back and forth and, and listen to it the probably the way most people listen to it and the way it's meant to be listened to. But when you're trying to dissect lyrics for a podcast, you know, you kind of gotta, you gotta take a little different, a little deeper dive. But, um, with this second chorus or second verse, Rhonda, what, uh, what point, um, sticks out to you? What do you like about this verse? First of all, I think it's one of the most interestingly written sets of lyrics. Um, not only because of the contrast that you just pointed out between it's, how it's structured uh, compared to the first verse, but it's so conversational. Um, and because, 
I don't know if I feel that it's conversational just because of the lyrical content itself or because of how the the vocals are produced for it. But I just, I've always thought that it's such an interesting set of words in a song. And as a songwriter who has a tendency to overwrite, like I, verses get very long, you know, trying to get to the point. It, it's something that I admire because there's a lot of storytelling happening in this section. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit longer and a little bit more intricate than the first, but there's still just this really interesting storytelling. And so one of the things that I love is, you know, that it starts out with the the line, you know, we were brothers and sisters. And because Prince always had such an interesting way that he categorized even romantic relationships, you know, think back to, I want to be your lover. I want to be a mother and sister and, you know, and it's like he mm-hmm. really had this um, almost obsessive, obsession, I, I guess, with quantifying love or categorizing and characterizing love between lovers as being as intimate and urgent and necessary as the love that you feel in a familial space. Um, and so to, to, you know, address a lover as, you know, we were brothers and sisters and we were united and now you're trying to change it all. Again, he's going back to what, what he was talking about in the first verse, like, why can't you learn to play the game? This is what we said we were doing. And now here you are trying to go in a different direction, but he's more, the first verse felt like he was a little bit more defensive. The second verse really feels like he's like, okay, listen, I'm, I'm trying to make this work. And I'm trying to understand. And I'm, I, I want to hear you. I need you to hear me. I, but I can't lose you. The, the second verse feels more like, okay, now I'm, I'm taking off the armor and I'm really just trying to be vulnerable. And I want you to hear and see my heart. That's yeah. what I, you know, the second verse always gives me chills because I just, I love the way that it's written both musically and lyrically. I love the way it's performed. But I, I also just love the energy behind it. I, I, I very much um, relate to that sense of desperation isn't the word, but just that sense of I got to I got to preserve this thing that I have with this person. And so whatever I need to do or say, I'm just going to go go in that go that way and maybe stop trying to, you know, be the boss of it. I don't know. It just, it's, it's a really compelling verse. Um, and then you get to the end where he's like, you don't understand face to face. I'm getting on my knees, you know? And so is he about to propose or is he just begging either yeah, way? Exactly. It's so dramatic. And, and just, it's, it's great. Cause it's like, yes, he's like, okay, fine. I, you know, he's, he's surrendering in, in that sense, even though he's also still, you know, touting his prowess and being like, you know, you're never going to find anyone else like me, but he's also very much uh, surrendering in that, in that moment. And I love that. Yeah. There's, there's nothing in this verse that even like, uh, goes against or directly opposes your alternate theory that this other lover, this another lover is potentially just uh, an addition to what already exists, not like a replacement, but an addition because he says in here, 
you want another someone. Mm-hmm. That's that's vague enough that it it can really be applied to just about anything. And I really t- and I echo your sentiments on this verse. This is the interesting verse of the two, the more interesting verse of the two, easily. And it's very vulnerable. It's super vulnerable the way he starts it off, talking about you know saying somebody was united, we were united like brothers and sisters. That's a pretty damn strong bond that he's kind of you know painting a picture that they had to the listener and you're trying to fight it you say you've had enough okay we don't really know why um so we're just getting the one side of it again like we do in most most songs by any artist you're getting one side for the most part so we all we can all we can do is listen to him kind of beg and plead and express like a a, a serious frustration but also desperation for the uh, resolution of of this this situation that they're finding themselves in he wants he wants her to make a choice me or this other person and if i have to get down on my knees and i like how you said it could either be begging or or a proposal because originally i was thinking begging like i'm gonna get down on my knees and beg you but the more i read it the more i looked at it the more i listened to it like is he gonna? Does he think that proposing is gonna <laughs> resolve this? I mean, that <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's that's a risky proposition to assume that yeah. putting a ring on it is gonna take away all of the the reasons why this person feels like they need another lover, somebody else, as he someone else, as he calls it. So it's uh, it's a bold move, um, but I think that he's the way he expresses the lyrics in this verse certainly tell me that he's feeling like he's on his last, this is like his last option. Yes. Either this or it's not going to work. And I think too, um, you know, because Prince historically has always been as an artist, someone who, doesn't ever seem to shy away from expressing difficult feelings um, whether that's anger or rage or you know deep sadness, whatever it is, it's never just a happy-go-lucky. Everything is sunshiny. You know, it, there's always something else that he's willing to push. Um, and even in the same song, and this is a perfect example of a song where he's going back and forth between being like, "Listen, I'm the bomb. Like no one else is gonna give you the satisfaction I give you, but please don't leave me." You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> whereas whereas mm-hmm. with, a, with, a, with a different kind of artist, it may have been just one or the other. It would have been just all the begging and please don't leave me or just all, you know, the bravado and all of the too muchness, you know, the, the, the heavy on the testosterone and nothing else. And he just is so great at bringing all of those things together and, and showing you this really um, compassionate and human way that we all seem to e- experience relationships, regardless as to what kinds of involvements we're in, you know, whether it's with a spouse or just someone we're just getting to know, whatever it is, he does a really good job, um, especially in this song, of bringing all of that confusion and insanity that love brings with it sometimes to the surface. Yeah, I think another thing that I I kind of get from this verse besides all of what we've already talked about is that I kind of get a sense that 
even let's say it doesn't work. Let's say his pleading or getting down on his knees doesn't work. And she still uh, goes after this other person. The line, sure as there's a son, I'm going to be the one. Kind of tells me that he feels like he's going to hold this torch for her. Regardless if she mm-hmm. leaves him. And if and, and he may have the confidence like, okay, if you feel like you need another lover. For whatever reason, through your reasons. And I've tried to convince you that doing that isn't going to give you what you need, but you still need to to do it. You need to go try this new thing out with this new person. But when that fails, and when you don't get from that person what you need or what I give you, I will still be here. Sure as the sun, I will still be here and I will be the one. Oh, I, like I kind of get a little bit of that. I kind of get a little bit that he's saying, he's kind of telling her, like, I get it. I don't, I don't like it, and I'm desperately trying to convince you not to do it, mm-hmm. but if you feel like you need to, I will still be here when you come running back. Because you will come running back. You will come running back. <laughs> yes. I, I've never thought of it that way, but I think that's brilliant that, that, he's, that, that you would point that out, that he's like, listen, okay, all right, fine. <laughs> you're going to do what you're going to do. So, okay, but I'm going to be here. And, yeah. you know, again, there's that confidence, but also that vulnerability of being like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, but kind of on my terms. So you do what you need to do and then come back. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not happy. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not happy about the situation. Clear. He's not but, happy that he's being asked to, uh, to or like, feel like he's been put in the situation um, where he has to convince this woman or that that they were meant for each other and all the things that they the good times that they've experienced what what is causing this he, he i truly do feel like in this song he feels like really confused as to what the reasons behind it are and you know there might be an alternate song out there from her perspective like okay well let me tell you why i need another <laughs> lover buddy uh, <laughs> And then if you correct some of these things, you know, because people, people are sometimes very blind to their own faults. They don't even see them as faults at times. But anyway, that's, that's reading maybe a little more into the song than it needs to. So, uh, anything else on the second verse, Rhonda? No, I think, uh, I think we've had a great conversation about the second verse and I can't wait to go and listen to it again with different ears now that we've had this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the as we've kind of alluded to, it is definitely the, the standout verse in the song. And, and really because of the lyrics and the way it's performed, I think it's makes it very memorable. Definitely. So then he repeats the chorus. You need another lover. Like you need a hole in your head. You know, there ain't no other that can do the duty in your bed. Solo, solo. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if he, <laughs> I always assumed he was saying so low like two different words but of the the lyrics that i'm reading say solo solo mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i'm not gonna put apply too much meaning to it either way i don't know if you ever thought of it at all i'd give you an opportunity to speak to it but if not we'll move on i haven't um i've always assumed that it was solo just the word solo because then of course in the extended version it goes into the eric leads section um 
which isn't necessarily a solo because it's with Atlanta, but you know, it more or less, it's it's kind of this interesting musical break. And even on the studio version, it, you know, we get a little bit of a musical break there. But no, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just just kind of a lyrical, melodic placeholder of some sort. Who knows? I don't think that yeah. there's anything yeah. real, real deep with <laughs> with that section. No, I don't either. That's why I didn't really apply much. I didn't. I didn't make much of an effort <laughs> to try to to de- decipher a meaning out of there. So uh, anyway, so then we, uh, you said there's a, a musical break here, and then we get to the point in the song where you have kind of like the the a lot of the music kind of goes away and it's just you've got the the bass guitar and it's really just prince and susanna singing the lines with spaces in between to allow more music to be added in or to come up in the mix You need another lover, like you need a hole in your head, hole in your head, hole in your head. So they repeat that. And I like the part where you need another lover, like you need a hole, a hole, a hole, a hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part's fun. The part's that fun is. to sing. <laughs> but then the the song, um, the outro, and this is another part that I never really spent a lot of time thinking about. Because by the time the song starts to fade out, you're kind of already like coming down from it. And you're not really, at least speaking for myself, I don't really try to glean much meaning from lines that are being sung or spoken during the fade out because <laughs> I, I always figure if, if if they're saying something in a fade out uh you know it needs to be pretty damn compelling for me to even be able to hear it and try to you know strain to hear it but he says there's going to be a riot if you don't clap your hands if you don't make that funky stand everybody you know there ain't no other so again like the solo solo i don't think that there's much of a connection between these lines spoken in the outro and in basically the overarching theme of the song. There's going to be a riot if you don't clap your hands. I mean, that's just something you might say, like, uh, if, if you're trying to get the crowd when you're performing on stage to basically get off your asses and and participate, you know, <laughs> in, in the event that is this performance. So, uh, did, I mean... Did you ever think anything beyond it just being kind of like a fun extension of get up and dance? Well, so what's interesting is that I have always been confused. Well, not confused, but intrigued by that tag at the end. It's got to be a riot. Because one, it's like, no, well, now what does that have to do with the conversation we were just having about our relationship, sir? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. So now we're rioting? Wait, what? Um, but I think from a musical perspective, it, it's to your point, you know, it's, it's an invitation for everyone to dance. It's bringing back that last bit of, you know, you know, there ain't no other. It's bringing that, that last bit back in. So it's more of a musical cue than it is narrative, but it's yeah. still kind of like an interesting thing to put there considering that there hasn't been anything else in the song that is directive in terms of whether he's talking to the band in his head or in the studio with him, what have you, or talking to the listener 
you know, you compare that to a song like Housequake, where he's telling you what we're going to do. We're going to show you what to do and put your foot on the rock, you know, all of that. And, and that is meant to be a collaborative engagement. Like everybody's supposed to dance at the same time. Everyone's supposed to be doing the same moves, but this is not that kind of a song. <laughs> so to have no. that at the end, it's, it definitely feels like, okay, now we're just going to get into the groove of this. Now, you know, I'm, it's, it's a little bit more meta. I'm coming out of my storyteller space and I'm going back into my, you know, music, musician space. And now I'm just going to get funky. So I don't think that it has anything. It doesn't feel like it has any direct relationship to the song's storyline, but no. more so. It feels disconnected. Just, yeah. Yeah. And, but yet it works. There's so many things um, that I notice and that I, I know that other people who have listened to Prince's music as much as we have noticed that technically don't necessarily make sense, but they work. And that also goes even just for the, the way he composes. Um, I have the sheet music for this song and, and I've you know played around with it on guitar. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of, blues in this song um it's a pretty straightforward i think it's in c major but then he throws stuff in there that eh, in theory shouldn't be there or doesn't technically belong there but it works beautifully and it gives the song even more depth sonically and i think this is just another one of those things where he's like eh, put this here i feel like nothing prince ever did was accidental or random. So it's intentional for him, but what that intention was, we don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think those of us who are in the know about Prince's 12 inch versions of his songs can think and try to think to ourselves, okay, this, it's fading out now, but I bet if I was listening to the 12 inch, this is where the jam would kick back in, you know, and we would get another three, four, or in the case of mountains another like, 15 minutes of, <laughs> of groove that mountains oh my gosh <laughs> yeah that's like it's 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 its own thing it never ends which is great no. but then it's like now wait and you know where he also does that on um the i wish you heaven extended remix it's like this song goes on a long time yeah another love lot only of, had is a lot of time here <laughs> it's nowhere near as long as some of those other 12 inches but bottom line is like I think of that a lot, and but that's only because I I've heard the twelve inch versions, and I know that they exist, and I know that there's a seven plus minute version of this song, and so I just immediately think the song fades out here, and he's starting to kind of talk about you know getting into a you know clap your hands and make a funky stand, and this is where I envision this is where the song continues on then for another yeah. three minutes or so. And uh, they just had to cut it off here. So it's just kind of like, it feels disconnected and feels like it doesn't fit. But at the same time, if you, if you were jamming the 12 inch, it would, it would be no big deal. You know, we wouldn't even be really just be another kind of like the conclusion of one half of the song and the extension of the rest of it. Like we're, we're ending the narrative now. Let's just, let's just jam out the rest of the song. All right, so that brings us to the end of another lover hole in your head. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we covered it. Um, did you have any final thoughts on the song or anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about now, Rhonda? 
Oh my gosh. I don't think so. I mean, again, like I said earlier, it's, it's one of my favorite songs. Um, interestingly, it is not my favorite song on the parade album. That would be mountains, which Same. Makes, makes me smile every time it comes on. And just tangentially, um, not long after Prince passed, maybe the night that he died, there was a, a an impromptu dance party at a club in San Francisco called the Makeout Room. And we were all crunched up in there together. And I remember the DJ putting mountains on and I just started bawling, but it was like happy tears. Like it was a terrible moment, but it was like, okay, I, I think we're gonna survive. But this song, Another Lover Holding Your Head, the other thing that I love about it is the way that he titled it. I think that it would have been so just like everybody else to just name the song Another Space Lover and leave mm -hmm. it there. Um, the other thing that I find to be interesting is that on uh, the Plectrum Electrum album, he covered Alice Smith's song, Another Love. And I discovered quite interestingly a few years ago that, you know, my, for whatever reason, my uh, iPod would play those two songs back to back would sometimes do this thing where it's playing things in alphabetical order, even though I always have it on shuffle. And it's a really interesting listen to, to listen to another lover holding your head and then go into um, the Alice Smith cover because they're two very, the songs are very similar. And Prince's approach in that second song is very similar. It's almost like he took someone else's song and revisited a notion that he had had many, 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 many years before. So throwing that out there in case anyone wants to have that listening experience, check it out. But no, otherwise, um, I think we've, we've covered the lyrics for Another Love of Holding Your Head. It's, it's a phenomenal song. And whether it's the studio version, you know, the original album version, or the, the remix, it's just a badass song. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Parade's a great album. This yeah. is a, a great penultimate track and while it wasn't a big hit from you know from a pop perspective as i've said before in 2021 who gives a shit you're right i mean it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> matter how a song performed on the pop charts in 1986 anymore uh songs are not so it only matters from the perspective of who who really knows it because everybody knows kiss I mean that's that's the the song off this album that really uh, transcended uh, just you know regular pop success. It's it's in our popular popular culture and it will be forever. And I'm not saying that another lover holding your head needs to be at the same level as Kiss. I can see why it 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 never will be. But you know the only thing that about it not having a lot of success on the charts means is that there's a lot of a lot of people who aren't as knowledgeable on Prince's discography as you or I that have never heard this song. And it just would be nice if more people would because it's a great song and I think people would like it. It's an amazing song. And and it's surprising to me because it was released as a single. It's surprising to me that it wasn't it didn't receive more airplay because I I can hear this song on R&B radio and the fact that it, I, I do not ever recall hearing it on the radio though. Um, now granted that was 30 something years ago. So maybe it was on the radio, but I don't remember it. And I listened to the radio a lot. 
Um, and, you know, and it had a video that was in heavy rotation for um, a nice little minute. So the fact that the song didn't really do anything, even, you know, not necessarily charting, but that it just didn't seem to have gotten the same level of attention as Kiss and When Doves Cry and so forth is, is something to consider for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of music... Rhonda, so before we go, would you mind telling the listeners where people could find your music, if you'd like? Uh, yes, I'd love to. Thank you so much. So I am everywhere. Uh, my, I have, a, I have a, a, an EP that just came out in December called Home uh, that was d- inspired by the events of 2020 and that I actually... Um, wrote in my childhood bedroom. Um, I spent about a month back home in Dallas at the beginning of the pandemic and wrote some new music and decided to make an album about that experience or, you know, just the feelings that were happening around that time. Um, It is it along with my dance EP, um, Radical Ecstasy that came out last spring and my 2010 debut EP, Nuda Veritas, Everything is available on Bandcamp, on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Tidal, pretty much everywhere. So whatever you like to stream or wherever you like to discover, I'm there. My website is rondanicole.com, and you can find uh, not only my music on my website and links to it, but also my social handles. Awesome. Well, I am, I am very pleased that you have agreed to be my guest because you've been a wonderful guest. And thank you. I appreciate your insight, appreciate your time, and I wanted to thank you for that. Also, I wanted to tell everybody, the listeners, that you know, uh, you could find the podcast, the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast, just about everywhere. I really think that it's pretty much on just about every podcasting platform that exists. You can check out my blog at pressrewind.net. I try to write up a little bit about different songs that I've covered over the past, doing playing some catch-up. So I'm a little behind. I'm not to the parade era yet, but I'm I've at least up to Dirty Mind era as of, <laughs> of March of 2020, 2021. So um, please check that out. I'd appreciate it. I try to put links to the different episodes and whatever kind of fun little um, bootlegs or uh, versions, original versions of songs that exist out there. I've got a nice little collection of of live versions that I like to share with people. So just check it out if you have a chance. And uh, until next time, my name is Jason Brenninger, and enjoy the show, enjoy Rhonda's music, and enjoy another lover hole in your head. Goodbye. (laughs) 